We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas and welcome in to the Music City Audible presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver and with me on this Christmas Eve day, you're listening to this on Christmas Day, but we're recording this on Christmas Eve is my always with me co-host, Justin Mello. How are you doing today? I'm doing well outside of that. I can't believe you just started the show with that cheesy intro, but I'm all right, I guess. It's Christmas. It is. You're right. It is. Merry Christmas to all, except you, because that was horrible. But Merry Christmas to everyone else. And in the spirit of Christmas, over at broadwaysportsmedia.com, you can go get a discount right now, 50% off with code DHENBER. Head on over to broadwaysportsmedia.com. At checkout, enter the code DHENBER, good for any monthly membership, 50% off. So go check that out on broadwaysportsmedia.com. Meanwhile, we are going to get into the Titans-Packers preview, Sunday night football. This is what it's all about, man. You want to play in these types of games on primetime television. We have a great guest stopping by to help us preview the Packers. But before we get there, let's talk about some, some Titans stuff that's going on. The number one thing I want to start with is the Pro Bowl, because you and I did our own little Pro Bowl mock rosters a few weeks back, and we got two guys right, but we were not right on a lot of guys because the Titans were heavily snubbed in this year's Pro Bowl. Only two selections, A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. Teams like the Lions had three selections. The Eagles had three selections. Like There are really bad teams that had more players make this Pro Bowl than the Titans who have the top offense in the league, most points scored, most total yards, highest EPA per play. Ryan Tannehill, highest EPA per play quarterback. I don't understand how this guy didn't make the Pro Bowl. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing, right? And the list doesn't stop there. I know you mentioned, I think you said the Eagles uh, and the Lions, but the 49ers had more players. The New England Patriots had more players uh, uh, named to the Pro Bowl. It's kind of crazy that Ryan Tannehill doesn't get in. And to me, it's equally as crazy that at least not one of those offensive linemen get in. Like, how does Roger Saffold not get in or Ben Jones? You know, I I know Nate Davis is a year two player. and, And let's be honest, Pro Bowl is all about reputation and popularity. And Nate Davis is still a year two guard coming out of a small school. Who who knows Nate Davis outside of this market? Uh, our guest later does because he's that good, but not many people know Nate Davis outside of this market, right? But but Roger Saffold is different. People know who Roger Saffold is. People know who Ryan Tannehill is. People know who Ben Jones is. So it, it's kind of shocking to me and, and a little embarrassing for the process that, that at least two of those guys did not get in. I mean, what and- else do you do? Yeah, you can't. I mean, you you just have to play on a bigger market team. And I think it's time to accept, most people have accepted this for years now, that the Pro Bowl is pretty much a sham popularity contest. It doesn't really mean anything. It is still used as an incentive roster bonus in a lot of player contracts. So from that standpoint, it's kind of shitty. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
we don't really care that much about the Pro Bowl. It's nice as a fan of a team to watch your team get recognition. I think Taylor Lewan would have made the Pro Bowl if he was healthy this year, just because of what the Titans offense is doing, just because of his name recognition. Like he could be playing terrible or amazing. It wouldn't matter. Like you just said, it's all about that name recognition. And simply the Titans don't have that playing in a small market. Doesn't matter that they're 10 and four. Doesn't matter that they just went to the AFC championship. Doesn't matter that they're all but locked into a playoff spot atop the AFC South right now, because it's not about being, it really isn't being good about being good at football. So if that's the case, then you just accept that and move on and, and hope that you can raise the profile of the team by continuing to stack wins. And to me, the bright side of this is you might see some extra fire, some extra motivation from guys like Tannehill in this Sunday night game going up against the Packers who had a lot of pro bowlers. I think what one point I want to make, and I think what bothers me about the snubs is while I agree with you that fans know it's a sham, you know, the, but it really does matter to the players. As you mentioned, not only is it still used in contracts as an incentive, but look at AJ Brown's reaction when he found out he was named to the pro bowl. He went on his social media, he posted photos of him as a child and said it was a dream come true. And, 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 you know, it uh, feels like a life goal has been reached. But the players care. As much as we all think the Pro Bowl is a joke, and it is, the players care. And they care a lot. And Ryan Tannehill, you know him. He's not one to show a ton of emotion or, you know, he, he's more of a typical coach-speak kind of guy, let's be honest. But he did show a little emotion uh, there uh, in the press conference, the Titans Daily press conference. When they asked him about the snub, he said, yeah, I did feel like I was snubbed. And you know, you think about it for a day and then you let it go. But he knows he was snubbed. He's not happy about it. And I'm sure some of those offensive linemen feel the same way. Green Bay, one of the teams that led the way with most Pro Bowl selections, along with the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Seahawks, each had seven selected. Buffalo, five. New Orleans and Pittsburgh also had five. Pittsburgh, Arizona, Cleveland, Detroit, Indy, New England, Philadelphia, and San Francisco all had three guys make it. Of course, the Titans only had two. So it is what it is. You just hope that, you know, Maybe next year, right? I mean, that's all you can do. For those wondering, what if Tannehill gets in as an alternate? What if somebody makes a Super Bowl or gets hurt? There are no alternates this year because there is no game. They're not playing an actual game because of COVID. They're just doing this virtual week of competitions and Madden. They're going to play the Pro Bowl on Madden or something like that. So there's no alternates. So you can put down that hope. You can let it go. Ryan Tannehill will not be named to the Pro Bowl under any circumstances this season. I don't know why. Neither will Malcolm Butler. It's crazy to me, but that's that's life. Malcolm Butler probably because the Titans defense is so bad. But it's just crazy because he was like number two in fan voting like a month ago. And now he's not in. But anyway, let's move on. Let's cover another topic, something we touched on last week. Because we might be eating some crow soon. We'll see what happens here. But... The Titans have a chance to clinch the AFC South on Sunday night, but if the Colts win and on Sunday against Pittsburgh and the Titans don't have a chance to clinch the, the AFC South on Sunday night, I kind of feel like these guys might break the 4,000-yard barrier for Tannehill, 1,000 each for A.J. and Corey, and 2,000 yards for Derrick Henry. I mean, last week I said, ain't no way it's going to happen, but now, I don't know, it might happen. Yeah, and I had said last week that I think both receivers um, will get to the 1,000-yard mark. I guess uh, Corey Davis is really close, right? I think he's about 55 yards away now. Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill has still got a, a ways to go, but I guess it, it is looking a lot more possible, right? He sits at uh, 3,482 yards, so he's just over 500 yards away. I mean, it's not crazy to think he could have a couple 250-yard games here, 260-yard games, and, and get to the 4,000-yard mark. Now, Derrick Henry is obviously the one that everyone is watching. 
He's currently at 1679, which means, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, math was never my strong suit, but he needs to average about, what, 150, 160 per game uh, over these last two to get to the 2,000-yard mark. It's crazy to think that it's not impossible, right? I, I think Mike Herndon mentioned in one of his articles uh, the other day, and it really resonated with me. It's funny how true it is where Derrick Henry goes out against the Lions and has like 148 yards, and you, you, you don't even blink, right? I don't remember thinking, oh, this is – He's having a great game. It was a great game, but it's what you've come to expect from him, right? You don't you don't watch Derrick Henry round up 150 yards in December and say, "Oh, wow, that that's out of the you know out of the ordinary." So, ter- unbelievable player. He's got a chance, man. I, again, that's the most interesting one to watch here. I still don't know that he does it, and I hope I eat pro, but it does look a lot more realistic now than it did a week ago. And same goes for Tannehill. I I was the most I think. I would have ranked them most likely, at least likely starting with the receivers and then Tannehill and then Henry. To me, it's all about the approach the Titans take over the next two weeks. And that includes in game in terms of how they call the game, because we saw what they did in the playoffs last year, right? Ryan Tannehill had under a hundred passing yards in back-to-back games that the Titans won because Henry was just so dominant. They gave it to him almost every play and Tannehill helped build those leads, especially in the Baltimore game. I mean, the first two touchdowns were passes from Tannehill, especially the long one to Khalif Raymond and the first one to Jonu Smith in the back of the end zone. But, you know, it was one cheek equals two feet, baby. Mostly about Henry. So it, it'll it be interesting to see what they do. Like you said, Tannehill needs a little over two, 250 passing yards a game. He had like 270, 280-something last week against the Lions in a game the Titans were winning pretty much the whole day. And Tannehill had a big yardage day. Derrick Henry now faces, I just wrote this in an article for broadwaysportsmedia.com, Derrick Henry faces two opponents upcoming, the, the Packers and the Texans. The Packers allow the sixth most EPA rushing allowed per carry, so expected points added per carry, and the Texans allow the most. Henry's already run for 200 yards against the Texans once this year, and I used a David Montgomery comparison to say why I think Henry can get there. David Montgomery, in 11 games this year, not against Green Bay or Houston, is averaging 62 yards a game on 16 carries for 3.8 yards per attempt. In his two games against Green Bay and Houston, he's only averaging 11 carries for 108 yards and 9.8 yards per carry. 9.8! If David Montgomery can do that to the Packers and the Texans, don't you think Derrick Henry can? I absolutely agree with you. And, and truthfully, the reason that I think he's got a, a, you know, a good chance to get to 2000 is the opponents, right? Green Bay and Houston. They're not, they're two rushing defenses that have really struggled this year. They really struggled last year, right? You remember Green Bay in the playoffs last year, really they lost because they couldn't stop the run against San Fran. And San Fran just ran it every play basically, and they couldn't do anything to stop it. So he does have a good chance to get it. Now I'm going to be the bad guy here. The one Thing that concerns me slightly about him getting there is game flow. It really depends on how this game against Green Bay goes. We know this offense is scary. We know Aaron Rodgers uh, is probably going to win the MVP or at least deserves to win the MVP. We also know the Titans defense isn't very good. So if this is a game where the Titans fall behind early, like they did in Cleveland, when you saw the last time Derrick Henry was held under 100 yards, I think he only went for 80 yards in that game. If, if this defense, you know, start, sorry? 60. 60. Gee, I thought it was 80. So 60 yards he was held to uh, against Cleveland. Why? Because they're down 38-7 at halftime. Now, I, I would like to think this is going to be a really great football game, a closely contested con. You know, the one issue here 
is uh, if the Packers, we know the Packers offense is going to put up points. I mean, I think that much is very much, that is very much obvious. If the Titans offense comes out and stalls and maybe has a bad drive or two, and again, that's unlike them. Let's show the Titans offense a lot of respect, right? They're going to score points too, but it, it could happen, right? They come out and they get a punt or whatever. Uh, then you run into issues where you're down maybe 14 nothing. Maybe you're down 17 nothing, right? Like you were in that Cleveland game, as I mentioned. And then you got to abandon the run a little bit. So that's one thing. It, I don't think that's going to happen, but if it does happen, then that makes the hill to climb for Derrick Henry to get to 2,000 uh, a lot more unattainable. Totally agree. Well, we will get into all the things that could happen in this game with Ben Fennel here in a moment, our wonderful guest. So unless you have anything else, I think we should just bring him on. Let's do it. Let's get to Ben. I think uh, not to be biased, and I hope none of our other guests are listening to this. They probably aren't, but I think this might, might, be our, might have been our best guest of the year. Ben was terrific and really excited to dive into this conversation with him. I'm with you there. So without further ado, let's welcome in our guest, Ben Fennell, NFL film analyst for The Athletic Wisconsin, NFL Network producer, expert on all things football. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. Super excited to talk Packers with you, Ben. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Merry Christmas. Yeah, to you guys as well on this uh, beautiful Christmas Eve here late in December with an interesting little AFC-NFC potential Super Bowl preview heading this weekend. So a fun matchup to dive into with you guys. Yeah, I've been saying that all week, potential Super Bowl preview. The first thing I want to ask you about here, Aaron Rodgers is playing out of his mind this year, leads the league in passing touchdowns with 40, top NFL passer rating this season. In your opinion, is Aaron Rodgers the league's MVP right now? I don't know if I'm willing to give him the nod over the uber-talented Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes still does more uh, in a vacuum and for himself than what Aaron Rodgers is doing in 2020. And I think Aaron Rodgers is proving that the Packers can win games with Clark Kent as opposed to Superman. And it's really refreshing to watch in Packers community because – He's really an elite game manager right now. And there's a lot of schematic elements in the offense that are making it quarterback friendly that we haven't seen for five, six years under the McCarthy era. And we put a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers to make plays out of structure, extend plays and bless us with his, you know, uh, his right arm, which is still a very talented right arm, maybe the most gifted right arm on the planet. But what they're asking him to do is a much more tempered you know, assignment than what we've seen in the past. So I still think Patrick Mahomes is probably the league's MVP, but Aaron Rodgers is playing very efficient football, and I'm not willing to say anybody's playing more efficient than Aaron Rodgers. Interesting, and I want to get your thoughts on that schematic comment too because obviously Matt LaFleur, very familiar to Titans fans as the offensive coordinator here in under Vrabel's first season, and there was a lot of tension, it felt like, between LaFleur and Rodgers when, when he first got to Green Bay Do you think that's mostly subsided? It feels like they're in a great groove together now. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that was kind of the, there was just narratives around his unwillingness to be a, you know, a good coworker or a good teammate. And um, not really sure where a lot of that has come from. He's obviously very confident a little bit into the arrogant category as a lot of confident athletes are in the world. Um, But it was great to see the Packers have initial success with a new unproven head coach because it could have gone the Zach Taylor way and gone two and 14 and everybody's suddenly questioning if this young head coach is the guy or not. So I think starting off on that hot foot in 2019 really bought everybody time and gave everybody confidence that this marriage can work. And I think LaFleur went in the right way with saying, I'm new. 
I'm entering, you know, a veteran quarterback's territory. Let me not be too imposing. And I think he did what he could to marry the previous scheme and things that Rodgers liked in 2019. It worked. It got him all the way to the NFC Championship game. And then in 2020, LaFleur hit the throttle in the speedboat and said, this is my offense and I'm fully deploying it. And in 2020, we've seen all those elements to make it more quarterback friendly and make offense easier which has just been pulling teeth in Green Bay through most of the, the 2010s. So it's really refreshing to see offense, and it doesn't have to be so hard. Right. And I want to get into the offense a little bit. What do you see? What have you seen from this offense in 2020, and how similar is it? Is it still very much a, 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 pro, a product of the Shanahan tree? Yeah, absolutely. It's still going to be the foundational run scheme, the outside zone, whether it's Shanahan or LaFleur. There's a foundational concept and you build wrinkles and keep adding to that foundation. That's what we've seen uh, with all the different motions and shifts pre-snap, which is a huge uh, advantageous element in the run game, particularly giving a lot of motion and eye candy. And just to break it down to a human being level, it forces defenders to think. And the more you cause them to think, the more they hesitate and the more that can potentially put an offensive lineman a half a second or a half a step ahead to complete your assignment. And you guys know that's all it takes. But the stacks and the bunches and just giving guys free access, free releases, not making guys work so hard to get open. And then the absolute onslaught of RPOs, which is just the concept of making the defense wrong. And it's taking what the defense gives you based on post-snap leverage. So the stacks, the bunches, the motions, the shifts, the RPOs, the commitment to the run game with an exciting running back in Aaron Jones, all those things were designed to take pressure off Aaron Rodgers. And he doesn't have to be a superhero to win games. And that's the most exciting element to Packers fans. And this is really a formula for him to play into 43, 44, maybe 45 years old because he's staying clean. He's playing from the pocket. He's not putting himself in harm's way. And that should be an exciting proposition uh, for Packers fans. Now, I normally wouldn't ask you any, any questions about the Titans per se, but you shared a clip earlier this week on Twitter uh, of Ben Jones and Nate Davis in the run game. Uh, and that made me, and that made us happy for two reasons. Number one, uh, you don't know how rare it is outside this market for anyone to show love to players like Nate Davis uh, and Ben Jones, but you, you're obviously on top of that. And A, what did you see there? And B, how do you think they can give uh, the Packers issues on Sunday? Well, I think they have a, an excellent offensive line. I love the additions they've made over the past two years. And I don't think people realize what it did to the Rams taking away Roger Saffold and how much it completely annihilated their run game. So I like the Saffolds. I like Ben Jones. I like Nate Davis. They're not the sexiest names. They're not making a lot of highlights on Mondays or on anybody's fantasy teams uh, for sure. But I'm an old school guy. I want to run the ball. I want to impose my will physically and all these analytics, you know, calculator nerds don't know what it's like to be fired on as a defensive tackle 50 times a game. It wears on you. And I don't care if it's first and 10 or second and long. I love that the Titans will impose their will. And that's a formula that works in September, works in December, works in January, works inside, works outside. And when you can be that physical and set the tone, I love that type of football. And that was exactly what Mike McCarthy was not doing in Green Bay. Last in first and 10 running that last year in Green Bay. Last in overall running commitment. It was so much pressure on the quarterback. So I love seeing the Titans second highest first and 10 run percentage. They were third last year. And then all their shots are off of play action. I love that they're a two receiver set offense as opposed to 11 personnel that everybody in the league is. 
you can survive with two dominant receivers and play a lot of 12 and 21 personnel and beef up the run game, force defenses to be bigger and pick and choose your shots down the field. And I think the AJ Brown, Corey Davis combo has really starting to open Titans fans eyes and say, you know what? I think we have our two and I think we're okay with this. And I know Corey Davis is obviously a little bit in limbo with his future with the Titans. And, um, but I think 2020 with Tannehill and AJ Brown's, you know, obviously uh, kind of taking that next step in his development. That's a great balance offense there in Tennessee. And so is the Packers offense. These two teams are top three in scoring. I think the Packers are actually number two in offensive scoring. The chiefs are number two in total points because of some defensive scores, but these two offenses are pretty similar. They attack defenses the same way we mentioned. They come from, they both come from that Shanahan tree, obviously, Matt LaFleur installed the offense in Tennessee that the Titans are still running. Titans players talk about being in the third year of the offense. It's only Art Smith's second year as the coordinator. I'm curious how much you've seen from both offenses to assess how similar or different they are. Yeah, you know, they're obviously, I think they've turned into, I mean, the Green Bay has turned into a run-based offense and everything is built off of the run game. Uh, and that's really the way Tennessee is designed. And when you put a lot of your resources in the offensive line and in the running backs uh, and you play a lot of heavy personnels, you know, I, I love the play calling and the way that kind of opens up the rest of the offense. And it's a run based first offense and you kind of run to set up the pass and then you run to finish the games. And it's really kind of that, you know, arc of uh, setting up with the run and finishing the run. And um, I love the physical imposing element of that and I know it's an analytics world and it doesn't doesn't generate as much yards per play and EPA and DVOA and Slayic and whatever terms you want that don't seem like people want to run the ball anymore until you get the ball run on you for 40 times a game and 200 yards and it's like it's a nice formula for a 37 year old veteran quarterback to hand the ball off and not have to do a lot of work so uh, but the issue is what happens when they get behind early? Can these offenses change the script and throw to come from behind? And I think that's been the question in Tennessee for a couple of years now on whether if they get behind early, can Tannehill put the team on his back, open up the offense and start throwing it? And that still kind of remains in question. I want to switch gears over to the defense, Ben. Um, just a simple introduction first off, because the Titans are going to have to put up points in this game. Green Bay defense, uh, sorry, the Titans defense is very bad. That's just the truth. And Green Bay is going to put up points. We are entering this game operating with the mindset that Green Bay is going to put up a lot of points. Titans are going to have to do so as well if they want to uh, keep on pace here. How do they do it? Well, I think you need to do what you can do. Like it, this works for both sides of the ball. You need to tie one of their hands behind their back. And if you allow the Titans offense or the Packers offense to run the ball effectively on first downs and you get into second and mediums, the whole playbook's open. And that's when defenses have no idea what's coming. So this Packers offense, you got to make them one dimensional. And I would beef up to stop the run on early downs and force the ball in Aaron Rodgers hands at this point. Not because it's a, well, you want Aaron Rodgers to beat us as opposed to the run game. No, but if the run game is clicking, everything is working and the defense by default is a half step behind on every snap. So I need to do something to dictate the action, whether that's early down blitzes, run blitzes, rolling that extra safety down and really doing whatever you can to tie one of these hands behind the Packers back because 
every team is going to struggle when they're in third and mediums, third and longs. That's the name of the game. But in order to get there, you have to play solid football and early downs and two teams like the Titans and Packers committing to the run means you better stop the run. And one thing on the other side for there in the Packers secondary is Jair Alexander, who I think is a terrific player, an excellent corner, a guy that I got to spend some time with pre-draft, and I always loved him uh, leading up to that draft. He's been terrific. What are the chances that he shadows A.J. Brown in this game? You know, that's a good question because we don't see a whole lot of two receiver offenses. It's an 11 personnel league for the most part. Some teams, I guess we do see Minnesota enough. That's always been Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen is now Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, but he's never really taken shadow assignments. And the interesting thing with Jair Alexander in that I think he's one of the best corners in a league, probably an elite press corner. The Packers don't play a lot of man to man. So they don't always put him in a great position to use that press man uh, ability, but He's since been a really good run defender and he's physical in the perimeter, any sort of receiver screens. He loves the blow up. He's kind of a flat patroller uh, out there in his zone responsibility. So uh, I think he's kind of embraced this off coverage zone role and he really doesn't follow anybody around the field and a race, you know, an assignment. And just when you think you want him to, you have to remember the Belichick philosophy. The Belichick would put their number one corner on your number two receiver and then double your number one receiver, which is a great philosophy. So having your number one follow their number one isn't always the, you know, the, the philosophical approach every team takes, but Jair certainly is capable of. I just wouldn't expect it. I want to talk about, you mentioned the Minnesota Vikings there. I'm curious what you think, if you think that is the formula, because we saw in the playoffs last year that Niners offense, just the Packers couldn't stop the run. And I wondered how much you think the Packers have improved since then. A few weeks back, they lost to Minnesota. I guess it was week eight or maybe week nine. Dalvin Cook, 30 carries, 163 yards, and three touchdowns. Can the Packers' defense keep up with the Titans' run game? Have they improved since then? Or is this Shanahanian disciple offensive tree going to be able to have success on the ground? Yeah, you know, it's really been a night and day since that Minnesota game. You can even go to the Tampa game two weeks before that, where they gave up 150 plus yards on the ground. They've since really started rolling more guys down into the box, committing more resources to the run, more early down run blitzes. Um, and I think it's it's been successful. Now, the issue is it's been Chicago's and Philadelphia's and Detroit's and Carolina's without Christian McCaffrey. And that's what made me tweet earlier in the week. This is a huge litmus test game for the Packers in late December, knowing what happened at the end of last year, knowing where your trials and tribulations were in 2020. Let's see where the run defense is at against a team that you know is going to run the ball a team that you know is going to be physical and it's going to be tough to tackle. And that's tackling issues have been, uh, you know, a major problem for the Packers on the back end, particularly Darnell Savage, who's now is playing more down in the box to prevent him from being that last line of defense. So, you know, using some people in different uh, schematic ways, they've also done some different fronts as well. Um, similar to what Belichick did to the, Rams in the Super Bowl, kind of a unique underfront. That's kind of what we did uh, the past couple of weeks as well with Jerry Montgomery, our defensive line coach. But this is the game where I really want to see where those last, you know, six, seven weeks since that Vikings game has really turned. And I love the Vikings offense. I love that they're also kind of a run commitment team, the play action boot of Gary Kubiak. What I don't understand is you can't pay the running back that much and pay the quarterback that much and be a run based offense. 
It's like there are a number of quarterbacks I could implement to do what Kirk Cousins is doing doesn't warrant the money he's being paid. And it's just ridiculous. Um, we've seen Matt Schaubs be pro bowlers in that type of offense. Um, so it's kind of an interesting philosophical approach on where to allocate your money resources for a run-based team. And that's obviously a big conversation in Tennessee as well and how much to give Tannehill for a run-based offense, how many things or other quarterbacks can do what Tannehill is doing and being asked to do. It's a, kind of a fun conversation. Yeah, I love that you said that, Ben, regarding the litmus test, because we feel the same way here in Tennessee. Look, if you can't get excited for this game, we've been telling people all week, it's prime time. Tennessee only goes to Lambeau once every eight years. It's a late December road trip into the freezing cold where they don't play a lot of football uh, in those conditions. This is If you can't get up for this game, not only as a player, but these fans, even if you're a fan of the National Football League, everyone should be tuned into this game. It's going to be a hell of a contest. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if I'm ready to say it's a Super Bowl preview. I mean, Kansas City, New Orleans last week also had that feel of elite quarterbacks in a dome, you know, AFC, NFC. It had that Super Bowl feel. It's great to get another one. Very easily could be the four teams sitting there, you know, in those, uh, that championship weekend. Very easily. So with that, we will move to our final predictions as we like to close out our shows with predictions here. You don't have to give us a score if you don't like doing scores, but more of like a game flow. How do you expect things will unfold if you had to just put it on the table? I think there's going to be points. I think both teams are, are going to, you know, have their uh, their lapses on defense. And that's really the nature of 2020 football. Defenses are struggling all over the place. And watching the Packers struggle in the NFC Championship game last year, I wasn't so mad that they allowed 30 points to the Niners and got run all over. I'm looking at the other side and saying, you know what? Go light up the scoreboard because that's what the Chiefs did. And nobody seemed to blink twice when they're winning games 45-35 and nobody's saying, oh, but the defense light up 35 points. Great. Go light up the scoreboard and outscore them. It's a track meet league. Allocate your resources on the offensive side of the ball. Don't be a complete sieve on defense. Maybe get an opportunistic turnover or that crucial third down stop in the second half. But I'm seeing this as like a 35-31 type of game. And I think it's going to be similar to that Indianapolis game with the Packers that went into overtime. It's 34-31. The Packers turn the ball over tons, four times on the road to a playoff team. Still went to overtime. I think it's going to be that style of game where I think there's going to be some issues on both sides of the ball. There's going to be a lot of points. I think if each of these teams play 100 times, it might be... 55, 45, 51, 49. I think they're two really well-built teams, well-coached teams. I'm excited to watch this one. I totally agree. I think this could be uh, whoever has the ball last or whoever turns the ball over the fewest times wins the game kind of game. And I think those are exciting football games. I, I know the, you know, the Super Bowl a few years ago with Jared Goff against Bill Belichick, like, and all the defensive scheming and planning and the one into a game like that but those games at the end of the day they're more boring than a game like this one that could be yeah. well let me not waffle we'll go we'll go 35 32 packers in a close one mason crosby with a with a kick late to uh to see that is a huge advantage the packers have here is potentially on special teams where the titans have struggled all season well yes and no our field goal kicker has been outstanding but we've allowed punt return touchdowns. I think there's only been five in the league this year. The Packers have allowed two or three. We've had blocked punts return for touchdowns. They've had their issues on the coverage units. Now, having Mason Crosby to flick home 58-yard field goals like it's nothing, 
is a huge advantage. So there's definitely some pros and cons to uh, the, the special teams units. And Graver and Steven Goskowski's uh, defense, don't, don't slander it. As long as that field goal is beyond 50 yards, he's going to hit it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> he's been great from 50 plus. Well, that'll do it for this, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Make sure you guys are following Ben on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. That's two N's, two L's underscore NFL. Follow him on Twitter. Tons of awesome breakdowns. I mean, you're covering pretty much every team in the league out there and draft work too. So make sure you're following Ben on Twitter for really great stuff. Coach Paint extraordinaire. You know, we love that stuff. Um, Justin, you got anything else before we wrap up? No, that's all. I really appreciate you joining us today, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Music City Audible. Our thanks again to Ben Fennel. Remember, you can follow him at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. You can follow Justin at Justin M underscore NFL. You can follow me at Titans Film Room. We got a 50% discount up on the site right now, broadwaysportsmedia.com. 50% off. We haven't had a sale this big since we launched the site back in July, late July. So go broadwaysportsmedia.com. Enter code DHENBER. Get your 50% off a premium membership. Makes a great holiday gift if you are out of ideas. Guess what? There's no shipping on a gift like this. I know shipping is crazy right now. I don't know if you're waiting on any packages up there in Canada, but I'm still waiting on a bunch of stuff for my family. Maybe I was a little late to order, but it's been a crazy year with the, with the post office and the, all that stuff. So if you get a, somebody a membership to broadwaysportsmedia.com for 50% off, you get two for the price of one right now. You don't have to worry about shipping. It's Christmas Day. Are you out of gift ideas? This one's brilliant, in my opinion. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling about the site. Go check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Check out my article about whether or not Derrick Henry can get to 2,000 rush yards. Look for my scouting the opponent article coming out soon. And then after this game, Gridiron Grades recaps the whole performance, looking at every position group. There's no better way to relive the game than reading through Justin's articles, Gridiron Grades. So make sure you check that stuff out. Follow us on Twitter at BroadwayTN. Merry Christmas, everyone. We'll be back to preview the final game of the season, week 17 at Houston next week. Until then, y'all tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.